Hallelujah. Praise God. Wow. What do you say after that? Hey. Well, um, earlier today I saw myself doing something. I don't know where it's going to lead to. I do have a message that I know we're going to get to. Um, is that a condition wrong or is it just making noise? Right. Um, why, why don't you all stand up, please? Now, I know there's no music here tonight. It's just us and God. And honestly, that's the best place we can be at sometimes. Just us and him. No distractions, no anything else to get our attention. So I'm going to ask you just to do this. And I know there's some of you here that are new to the faith. Some of you are just recently come to the Lord. Some of you are just new to our church. Maybe you've attended a different type of church up until this point. But there's something about when the scriptures tell us to lift our hands up to the Lord. There's something that happens in the, in the atmosphere. There's something that happens within our souls. So I'm just going to ask you all, would you please just lift, let's, let's just lift our hands up to the Lord. I'm going to pray. You don't have to pray. You can pray in your own heart. And Father, we lift our hands up to you tonight because you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy of all of our affection. You're worthy of all of our worship. You're worthy, Father God. You've done so much for us, Lord. And we're just so grateful, Father. And so, Lord, we know that the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated there in heaven with you. But, Father, we also know that the, your Holy Spirit is here on the earth in charge of the church. And so we honor you, Holy Spirit, tonight. We bless you. We praise you. We are so thankful for how you order our steps. We're so thankful for how you've revealed Jesus to us. You've opened our eyes up to him to cause us to see him in all of his majesty, in all of his power, in all of his holiness. And we're so grateful for that. Now, Lord, I ask you tonight to touch the heart of every single individual that's in this room. For those who will be listening to this in the future, Lord God, I pray that the scriptures that I'll share tonight, the concepts that I'll share tonight, the truths that come from your word, Father, I pray that they would be an impartation of grace to each and every one of us, Lord God. Father, that we will catch the things tonight that we need to catch in our hearts, in our spirits, God. And I pray that you meet every single individual at the point of their need. Father, to those who need encouragement, I pray encouragement. To those who need empowerment, I pray empowerment. For those who need to be lifted up, Father God, I pray, Father, that you would do exactly that, that you would just sweep us up into your presence tonight. I bless every single person that's here tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. Now, this is going to be, from what I, from what I believe, it's going to be a two-part series. Tonight will be part number one. Next Wednesday will be part number two. 
Amen? Amen. So I want to start out tonight by presenting this idea to you. Right now, you and I could go to any of the top TV or internet providers and get a movie, get a documentary, get a TV series on demand. Would you say that, please, please? On demand. On demand. Okay. They're ready for you. It's right there at any time you want, day or night. In other words, whenever you need them, they are on deposit for you. You and I can pretty much order a meal from any one of our favorite restaurants that participate in some type of delivery service or, um, and, and you don't even have to leave the house. You can go, you can, you can order something, they're, they're there. Hopefully on time and hopefully it's still hot. <laughs> you can call for an Uber driver and one will be at your door in a matter of minutes. The drivers are standing by on demand. Okay. Somebody right now is looking at their DoorDash app to see if, if you need somebody to pick up their groceries or pick up their dry cleaning or pick up their pool supplies or pick up anything else. Everything we need, naturally speaking, right now in our society is on demand. Okay. Well, the Word of God has a similar concept to it. Because there's right now ready for you, on hand, on deposit, ready for you to access power, strength, ability to meet the need that you might be facing right now at this moment. Can we really just be honest with each other tonight and just be transparent? I don't know what's going on in our world, but something's not right. I don't know what's going on in the hearts and the minds of people, Something's not right. And so it's rare to find an individual, a couple, a family that's not going through some major challenge right now. But it seems like some people, not everybody, and obviously you're here on a Wednesday night. You don't have to be here. It's not Sunday. <laughs> like Sunday, we go to church to make us feel good. So we get to church, went to church. I went to church today, I'm good. So it's that's supposed to carry us through the week. But for some reason, and this is almost like a side note here to the message tonight, it seems like people have lost their fight. It feels like people have gotten the wind knocked out of them. It feels like, you think about the events, and, and, and please don't read into what I'm going to say. Think about the events that we've been through as a nation, as a world, as a planet over the past couple of years. Why is there not more outrage? And again, don't read into this. Don't go out here tonight and say, well, Pastor Joe's stirring everybody up. He's a revolutionary. (laughs) Listen to me. Why, why has it become so easy for people to just roll over and play dead? And this is, listen, we have an enemy. Whether you want to believe it or not, and he loves it when you don't believe it, you have an enemy. I have an enemy. We have an enemy of our souls who hates us because when he sees us, he sees God. Not that you're God or on God, but we're the closest in creation to God in heaven. And the devil hates God in heaven. And so when we become passive, when we want to throw in the towel, when we want to just give up, 
He loves that. You see, because here's the reason why. He can't stop you from going to heaven. You've already made that decision. And if you're here tonight and haven't made that decision yet, by the time we leave tonight, you'll have an opportunity to do that. So when a person, when an individual makes a decision that they're going to declare with their mouth what they believe in their heart, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he did die on the cross to pay for our sins, that God raised him from the dead, and that he's alive right now. There's something that happens on the inside of us. That's why Jesus referred to it as being born again. Something changes. Something changes. And so at that point in time, the devil can't stop you from going to heaven. He lost that battle. But if he can neutralize you here on earth, does anybody know what I'm talking about? If he can get you to the point where you, I'm just, Pastor, I'm just so disgusted. I just can't fight another battle. I just want to throw in the towel. It just seems like every time I turn around, there's another fire to put out. Every time I turn around, there's another family crisis. Every time I turn around, there's another financial crisis. Every time I turn around, I'm getting bad news from the doctor. I just, I just want to throw in the towel. You can't do that. You, number one, you have to ignore the majority of the word of God that's been placed in the Bible for you and for me to gain our strength from, okay? Listen to me. Everything you and I need is on demand. Are you listening to me? That's why you have inside you the force of faith. That's why the Bible tells us that without faith, we cannot please God. That's why it tells us Four times in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, God says about us, my just ones, my righteous ones shall live by what? Faith. In fact, one translation I love the best, it says, my just ones shall live by their faith. Their faith. Okay? Now, everything I'm going to talk about tonight is based on one, portion of, one particular portion of scripture. All right, it's found in Isaiah chapter 40. You probably know where I'm going with this. Verse 28. Have you not known? Now, there's a prophet Isaiah speaking under the inspiration of, of God, of the Holy Spirit. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now look at verse 29. This is where it gets good. Real good. He gives power to the weak. You really said it like that. <laughs> and then we, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he does what? Even the youths, youths. That it was in that movie, My Cousin Vinny, right? <laughs> the youths. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. Next verse. Come on, say it with me nice and loud. Ready? Just repeat the yellow. Ready? One, two, three. But those who wait on the Lord, what are they going to do? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with what? Like a what? Like an eagle. They shall run not grow weary, they shall walk and not faint. So you see, some of us have gotten convinced that we have no strength. 
But he says to even those who don't have any strength, he increases it. Because God always calls those things that are not as though they were. Sometimes it seems like the negative circumstances are just waiting in the shadows to pounce on us. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody at the beginning of service. I won't say who it is. And I said, there's something very unique about pastoring. Because we're here. We get the phone calls. We get the emails. I get the frantic Facebook messages at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so when you message us, or when you're going through something, the enemy has you convinced that you're the only one that's going through it. And then, and then we on the pastoral team, when we get together and start comparing notes, and I'll say, okay, listen, you need to call this one, contact, hey, Pastor, Pastor Jerry, pa- Pastor Beth. Then we stand back and go, they all think they're the only ones that are going through this. So when we have a slew of everybody with the same type of prayer requests, we realize on the pastoral team, okay, this is a corporate attack. Do you want that? There's a big difference. There's a personal attacks, then there's corporate attacks. Corporate attacks are the enemy. The enemy realizes, wait a second, this group of individuals is starting to make some progress. This group of individuals is starting to kind of like flex their muscles a little bit, spiritually speaking. We got to do something to knock the wind out, and we got to do something to stop them. So listen to me, okay? When you're going through something, Resist the temptation to start going, (laughs) God, why is this happening to me? Where are you, God? God, have you abandoned me? Are you here? Stop it. Just like God is not a respecter of persons, the devil is not a respecter of persons. He's going to, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to attack. He's supposed to, in fact, in fact, There's a scripture in the book of Daniel, I believe it's in Daniel chapter 10, that talks about the last days that we're in. And he said, let me see, Daniel was written 600 years before Jesus, something like that. So you're talking 2,600 years ago. He wrote about the days that we're living in right now. And he said, one of the tactics of the enemy in those days this is exactly what it says, would be to wear down the saints. Who's the saints? So when you start feeling weary, when you start feeling awkward, you, and let me tell you something, just like you, like, you ever know like when you feel like you're getting a cold, the symptoms start a couple of days before? Yeah. You know, right? Okay. So, so it's not unusual that sometimes a couple of days before the attack's really going to come, you start feeling awkward in here. You start feeling like, man, something doesn't, it's not sitting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Something's not sitting. See, what's going on is your spirit that's very much alert and alive and aware of what's going on in the realm of the spirit, your spirit on the inside's picking up on that. And the closer you get to it, you start, you start getting, eh, 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 the radar is activating. Attack is coming. Attack is coming. Now, if you're in that state where you feel weary already, you're going to go, oh, God, not again. But if you'll stand on that promise in Isaiah 40, 
Go, go back. Can you put that back up, Anthony, please? Go, go back to, no, start in 29. Go back to 29. He gives power to the And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Did you catch that? To those who have no might, he increases strength. Well, if I don't have any might, where's it coming from? God. But now you see, you have to make a choice. Whether you're going to stay in the place of weakness, whether you're going to stay in the place of having no might, or whether you're going to go, wait a second. Even if I feel depleted right now, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 says, he's going to increase strength to me. What's the key word? Go back. No, no, no. Go, go, to, go to verse 30. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. Go ahead. Here's the key. We're going to talk a lot about this. There's the key. But the, what's the conditional factor here? Wait, wait. Now, the weight that that's talking about in the original language is not... You catching this? Because that's what most of us do. What's going on? When's he coming? When's he going to send that check? When's he going to show up on the scene? Because, you know, and so we, we, we hang out. Because it says, those that wait on the Lord. But that's not what he's talking about. This is the weight he's talking about. Those that wait on the Lord. What's your desire, Father? What's your heart, Lord? What would you have me to do? How can I wait on you? How can I serve you? How can I meet your needs? How can I meet the needs? Who would you have me to meet their needs while I'm standing here in this situation here, waiting, waiting. You catching this? Okay. Waiting. Not hanging out. Waiting. Turn to somebody and say waiting. Now listen. Don't, don't, don't be waiting like, is there anybody in here in the restaurant business? You are. Do you wait on tables? I hope to God you're doing a great job. Because in the past couple of years, the wait service in most restaurants. Can I get an amen? amen. I could go on and on and on. And having been in that business for many years, my wife says to me, you ruin everybody's dinner when we go out. I'll walk in. It just happened recently. I walk in. I walk in. I walked into some place. Won't say where it is locally. And I and as soon as I walked in, I said to her, "They haven't car, they haven't shampooed the carpets in this restaurant in probably 20 years." She goes, "How do you know?" I said, "Listen, smell the grease. It, the, the worst thing you do is put carpet in a restaurant. 
Because the grease, where's it going to go? It's not going to go. It'll cling to the ceiling from the but it doesn't. When you don't clean those carpets, they're just skeevy. <laughs> so how are you going to enjoy a meal when you're sitting in a restaurant when, when that smell is up in your nose? Just, just even more recently, we're talking about how not to wait on the Lord. The other day, took my wife to a restaurant. She, she went to the Yankees game for Mother's Day. So I said, okay, Monday night, I'll take you out to dinner for Mother's Day. Go to a restaurant, sit down. She orders two bottles of uh, uh, water, uh, Aquapana, okay? It's the, you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's nice water. The waitress comes. <laughs> He's laughing because I told him the story. The waitress comes and she puts the two bottles on the table and walks away. I'm like... I'm looking at her speechless. I can't even get the words out. Like, I said, why doesn't she bring me a paper bag to put the bottle in? <laughs> How am I supposed to drink this water in a restaurant? I'm not at a hot dog wagon. I'm not on the boardwalk. I, literally, do you imagine I had to call the waitress back? Can we have some glasses? Oh, you want glasses? I'm not making, am I making this up? So that's not how you wait on the Lord. Now watch this now. If you're not careful, you'll allow the problems that you have, the problems that you're facing, you'll allow the weariness that you're feeling because this is like the 10th time you had to go through this thing. You'll allow that to cause you to justify waiting on the Lord in an inferior manner. And you're going to say what most people say. Well, pastor, God knows my heart. Oh, honey, that's the last place you want him to be. Because in that heart, there's a lot of stuff that you don't want him to say. He deserves the honor of us waiting on him. So, well, pastor, what are you actually saying? Wait on him. This, this the whole concept of waiting on the Lord is a position. It's a stance. It's, it's, it's something that you set your affinity on him. You take this position of, Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know everything. You knew before you created the universe, you knew that I was going to be facing this. You knew the doctor was going to tell me this. You knew the mortgage payment was going to be due. You knew they're going to come and repossess my car. You knew, you knew this stuff. So, Lord, I'm not going to waste my time now fretting. I'm not going to waste my time now bellyaching, complaining, calling up 16 people from the church. I just don't understand. I'm going to wait on you Amen. while my answer's on the way. Amen. And sometimes you wait for years. Oh, we don't like that one. Well, I don't understand what God, what's taking God so long. I mean, the Uber driver could get here in 20 minutes. Why is he taking so long? Do you understand what I'm saying? So watch this now. Watch this now. It's a position. It's a posture. It's a stance. It's being attentive to the Lord's needs. Waiting for an order. What, what, is, what is a server supposed to do when they come to your table? Besides bring you glasses? 
Hi, my name is. I'm going to be what? Serving you tonight, today, this morning. What would you like? What can I do for you? How can I make this experience a blessing? Because, you know, I could have cooked at home better, but I came here to have an experience and a meal. You understand what I'm saying? Now, now transfer that. Lord, what can I do while I'm waiting? I know you got this under control. Uh, is, is this too much? Uh, okay. So, so you understand what I'm saying? See, see, the greatest act of trust that you can have that he's going to come through for you is that you don't sit home obsessed with the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. You go, I know you got this. So I'm not going to give the devil the satisfaction to see me home, crying my eyes out, eating a half a gallon of ice cream to calm my emotions. I'm, gonna, I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm in the stance of service. You call the shots. Tell me what you want me to do. That's waiting upon the Lord. It's listening to his voice and then hearing and doing. It's praying, praying. We're waiting on him when we're praying. I have found out, I, I don't know, I have found out that the biggest waste of time that I can do is be obsessed with praying for myself. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, I believe it's in chapter four, he knows the end from the beginning. He already said, I'm going to supply all your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Even back in the Old Testament, they had promises. David says in the book of Psalms, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. Never seen their kids begging for bread. You, we already have, what, what is that? That's power, where? On demand. What's going to trigger that? Waiting. Waiting. Expect it. So the person that waits on the Lord doesn't use the language like, oh, well, I guess God's not going to help me this time. Oh, woe is me. God's not going to help me. It's the person who is busy about the Lord's business while waiting for the power to come. This person declares what the Lord's going to do way before it happens. Let me put this down for a minute. One Bible teacher, I remember from many years ago, teaching about this verse said this. You could almost describe it as do you have your keys in your pocketbook? Somebody give me a set of keys real quick. Somebody give me a set of keys real quick. What do you got? No, that's not good enough. I need, I need like, like. <laughs> Is there anything good on here? Can I open anything good with this? Now watch this now. Now this doesn't make enough noise. <laughs> you teach me how to hold the keys now? Like this? Oh, not pepper spray. Pepper spray? Where the heck do you live? Watch this now. One Bible teacher 
used this illustration. He said, this verse of scripture, they that wait upon the Lord. He said, you could use the illustration of the dog waiting at home for his master to come. Our dog, I don't know, she would know from a block away they were coming home. She'd run up the steps, look out the window. Run down the steps, run back up the steps, run, sit at the door, scraping the floor. All those things. Well, as soon as they heard the keys, as soon as she, so this Bible teacher said, that's what this scripture really paints a picture of, of somebody so expectant, so waiting, going back to the window, back to the door, back to the window, back to the door, listening for the keys, jumping up in the air. Our dog, our beagle that we had, you would have thought we were worried for six months every time we come home. Jumping up in the air, running around circles, howling all over the place. Just, just be quiet. She was so excited. Yes or no? So excited. That's the way we're supposed to p- take the stance of while we're waiting for the answer to come. You, that dog knew we're coming home. Your dog, your pet, your whatever, they know you're coming. If you have a cat, it's a different story. They act like they don't even care. Oh. Oh, you're home? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's the picture that's painted. That's the way we're supposed to be waiting on God. Amen. We're supposed to position ourselves. We're to take the stance of, I know you're coming. I know you're coming. I know what I need is on its way. I know you're not going to let me down. I know any. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I'm starting to sense his presence here. That's like the keys jangling. Okay, I'm starting to sense his presence. Are these yours, Faith? I'm not going to throw them. I don't want to. Well, I guess I will. Wow, pretty good. So you getting this? Yes. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of people who took this position. Because let me, let me just describe something here. We're going to talk about a couple of people in the Old Testament tonight. Next week we'll continue and then we'll end up in the New Testament. See, when, when you're at that place where it seems like the enemy's got you in the crosshairs, sometimes it's an attack against your mind. Sometimes it's an attack against your physical body. Could be an attack against your finances. All of a sudden something happens and you, get, you take a hit financially. Sometimes it could be your relationships go, go, go squirrely, go, go stupid overnight. Like, what, what, who, what happened to this person? Especially when it's somebody that's close to you, somebody that you've trusted, somebody that you let in your life, and all of a sudden they get like, they, they turn Judas on you. That, that, that could wipe you out if you're not careful. That'll wipe you out. So, so I want to call those times our zero hour. What is the definition of a zero hour? It's the hour at, w- at which a planned military operation is scheduled to start. Okay, uh, it's a time when that's usually very significant. It's a notable event that's scheduled to take place at a specific time. Um, I like this one here. The zero hour is a time when I'm going to have to make a vital decision or a decisive change must take place. In other words, no more excuses. I'm standing at a fork in the road. I'm going to have to, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to make a choice to go one way or the other. And usually there's great consequences. Those are the times 
that you and I are going to have to rally up all the strength that we have on the inside and just depend on God and just not get totally knocked out and knocked down. And just remember that he promised us that if we'll wait on him, he's going to renew, renew, renew my strength. He's going to renew it. He's going to bring it to a fresh place. Now, let's talk about Joseph in the Old Testament. You familiar with Joseph in the Old Testament? You want to talk about somebody who got a raw deal? Man. So, so he faced his zero hour when his brothers sold him into slavery. The humiliation. The sense of rejection. The sense of abandonment. The sense of worthlessness. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to sell me as a slave? And they hated him because obviously Joseph had a type of relationship with God that they didn't have. Because God's speaking to him. God showed him in a dream what his ultimate destination is going to be in life. So that if, if being sold into slavery wasn't bad enough, in slavery, now watch this now, in slavery, in slavery, he doesn't sit in a pile of ashes and moan and groan, how did this happen to me? I don't understand this. I was my father's favorite. He gave me the coat with all the colors that signified that I'm pretty much the head of the family after he goes. How did this happen, God? No, no. What does he do? He, instead of, and listen to me, this is important. Instead of identifying himself as a slave, he chooses willfully to become a servant. Now, he's serving God. But his master notices him and says, man, who's this Jewish guy that we picked up? This guy's got, like, natural talents. And although he's sold as a slave, he gets elevated to the position of the second in command of his master's house. In other words, he has access to everything that this man owns except his wife. Who turns on him? His wife. Potiphar, his master's wife, did exactly what Adam and Eve because you know darn well, her husband said, you got, you got credit cards. You could buy anything you want. Just keep your hands off that kid. And what did she go after? That kid. God said to them, you can eat of all the trees in the garden. Just of that tree right there, you cannot eat from. And what did they go after? That tree there. So Joseph becomes a servant. Now, now, he's serving God. How do we know that? Because when Potiphar's wife tried to get him to go to bed with her, my master, your master's gone. We don't even know when he's coming back. Don't worry about it, because we got cameras all over the outside, so if we see him coming, okay. And he says, how can I sin against God? How can I sin against God? And then he said, how can I sin against my master? 
who has put me, who's given me at my disposal everything that he has except you. What's his position? Servant. Now the world around him, the people around him, would have labeled him a what? A slave. But he refuses that identity. See, you and I have a choice. And based on, you remember what I've been teaching here for the past couple of weeks? The greatest catastrophe that happened to mankind was when the devil tricked mankind, tricked Adam and Eve into becoming victims. When a person starts identifying themselves as a victim, it's very difficult to get them out from underneath where they're at. Why? Because sometimes, I don't know if you realize this, sometimes you and I have to take responsibility for our actions in order to get free from those actions. You listening to me? So you remember the story from, from, from these past few weekends? When, when God comes on the scene in Adam and Eve and God says to Adam, where are you? He said, I hid myself because I was afraid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? And what did Adam go? The, watch this. The woman you gave me, she made me eat this. Now, if you haven't been here for these weeks, make sure you go listen to that lesson. So really, really, we joke and say, well, Adam threw his wife under the bus. No. He blamed God first. You did this. This is your fault. I didn't ask you for this woman. You brought her into my life. I was okay before she showed up. It's her fault. She convinced me to eat this fruit. And then we go to, the, to even what happened there. You know the story. He says to her, what's the deal here? And she says, the serpent, the devil. It's not, it's not Eve's fault. It's not Adam's fault. It's God's fault. It's the serpent's fault. And, and listen to me. It's such a shame when I meet people my age in the 60s that are still, well, it was my father's fault. It was my mother's fault. It was my teacher's fault. It was my boss's fault. And uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in. And my lack of education. It's like everything, it's always, it's always somebody else's fault. And if you're here tonight and you're listening to these words, if you're hearing yourself talk, you better turn things around. Yeah, yeah but pastor, you don't understand what, what I was exposed to. You don't know what people did to me. I understand that. But there comes a point where you go, Okay, enough is enough. Enough is enough. You've got to take, got to take responsibility. So Joseph, Joseph would have been totally justified to just roll over and play dead. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. God, where are you? You gave me this dream. You showed me the dream that I was going to be an important person, a ruler. And here I am now. Now I'm in jail. I didn't do anything. I didn't touch this woman. God knew that. He would have been perfectly justified to get bitter-hearted, hard-hearted, cynical, distrusting. What does he do when he gets into jail? Serves. He becomes, he, what does he do? He's waiting on the Lord. But in the meantime, He's going to be productive. And what happens? He rose to the level of the steward over Potiphar's house, gets thrown in jail unjustly, falsely accused. Now, he gets put in charge of the jail. You can't stop this guy. And while he's in jail, what's he doing? He's waiting. He's, you don't hear him complaining. 
you don't hear any moaning. Yeah, even David, as good as he was, every once in a while in the Psalms, you, you hear the belly aching. No, Lord, many are those who rise up against me. Many are those who say that there's no help for me from God. You hear what I'm saying? You don't hear Joseph do any of that. He's serving. And Pharaoh is told about this man. There's a guy in jail. He's actually raised now to the level of, he's over the whole system. He's over the whole jail. Pharaoh has a dream one night. You guys know the story. And he's puzzled because he can't figure out the interpretation of this dream. And one of the, one of the individuals in jail that Joseph helped all of a sudden mentions him to Pharaoh. Now, this is anywhere from 13 to 15 years later. It didn't happen like last week and then this week. After all those years of maintaining his heart, not becoming embittered, understanding that there was a greater purpose. You see, when you take the stance of waiting, your heart now is open to see the greater purpose. When you walk around like, I can't believe this has happened to me. I can't look. I used to be somebody important. I used to have money. I I love people like that. Oh, my God. I used to have money. I used to be somebody. I used to have an important job. I used to have this, and I used to drive that, and I used to wear this. But you don't anymore. When you keep your heart right, no matter what comes against you, no matter what loss you suffer, your heart is open to understand and get the revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is the greater purpose. And so all those years later, Joseph gets appointed and becomes the second in command, not to a person's household, but to the most important and powerful empire in history up until that point. You guys know the rest of the story? Famine breaks out at home. And so now Joseph is in the position to help his brothers, to help his father, to help his family. After all that suffering, now he's in a position where he's got people waiting on him. Jacob says to his sons, hey, I heard there's food in Egypt. We're starving to death over here. The cattle are dying. We got nothing for them to eat. Go to Egypt and go see this guy who's in charge of all the food in Egypt. You listening? If you've never read this story, go read it. I challenge you to read it without having a box of tissues next to you. Because who's sitting in charge of the food when his brothers who sold him as slaves show up? Joseph. And after all that waiting, after after positioning himself as a servant, it pays off. Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, 
I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. You know what that word dismayed means? You know what that word dismayed means? He, they fell apart at the joint. Their legs got weak. They could hardly stand up. Why? Because they're the ones that lied to the father and brought back his coat, Joseph's coat, stained with goat's blood. It said here, they, they didn't even have the compassion to break the news to the father. They literally, you read it and it says, they, threw the, they pretty much threw the robe in front of J- Jacob and went, here, see if this is your son's. And the pain and the anguish that they caused the father is unbelievable. And Joseph goes, is my father still alive? They couldn't answer. Their knees are knocking. Their throat's dry. Verse 4, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. What's going on with this? Well, I'll keep going. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But watch this now. See, he didn't spend all these years becoming bitter. He didn't spend all these years plotting like when I find them, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to impoverish them. I'm going I'm to get vengeance upon them. No, what does he say? So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And he goes on to say, for these two years the famine has been in the land, there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity, a remnant for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. When you, listen to me, when you fight off discouragement and allow yourself to see the bigger picture, that's when we receive the strength, when we receive the power, when we receive, listen, the fresh vision for the future and for our lives. Are you listening to me? We receive power. Watch this now. Look at me, please. We're going to be out of here in a few minutes. We receive power when we're able to get to the point that we see in all the suffering, in all the pain, in all the disappointment, in all the betrayals. We're not saying that God caused it, but we can see God using it. Are you hearing me? But listen, if you don't take the position in the stance of a servant your heart gets affected. I'm talking to people here tonight. Your heart gets affected. You become cynical. You become bitter. And you could have Jesus standing in front of you. You won't see him. You won't see him. Because you've been so obsessed with, why did this happen to me? How could this have happened to me? You'll be mad at everybody that was used by the devil to do those things to you. And your heart becomes so cluttered, you can't see God in it. And he's standing right there going, 
I've been with you all this time. I've been with you all this time. It all comes back to that one principle that's in the book of James. And I think in one of Peter's letters also. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. It's humbling to take the position of a servant. It's humbling to have to keep your mouth shut when you've been wronged over and over and over again. It's humbling, especially when you're in the right. Now, most of the times, let's be honest with each other. Most of the times, there's two sides to every story. We, we, we threw a little bit in there, and somebody else grabbed the hold and threw a little bit in there, and now you've got a mess on your hands. But there are times when we genuinely did nothing wrong and we get hurt. Those are the most important times we need to humble yourself. I'm going to say this, and then we're going to open this up for prayer. You can't pastor for 25 years without getting criticized, talked behind your back. You know what I'm talking about. And so over the years when someone has come to me or I found out this one's saying this about you, this one's saying that about you, I go back to a story about David's life. David finally becomes king. He's in Jerusalem. He's got a bunch of kids from different wives. There's one son named Absalom who decides he's going to steal the kingdom from his father. And he raises up an army. And you know, if you see pictures of Jerusalem, even though they're modern day pictures, it's not that different from ancient times. Jerusalem is surrounded by a wall and and there's there's doors, there's there's doors, there's portals to come in. Now, at one point when Jesus was on the scene, there was 12, there'll be 12 in heaven, 12 gates. So watch this now, how humiliating now David has this, the humiliation has to suffer. His son, okay, is coming in one side of Jerusalem with his followers. David is told, you have to flee. We don't have enough soldiers to protect you here. Absalom is coming to take the throne. And so David, while Absalom's coming in one door, David is on the opposite side of the city, fleeing taking his family, whatever, servants, whoever's with him, they're fleeing. And as they're fleeing, they're going down a certain road that would cut through the back of Jerusalem. And there's a guy there named Shimei, who was a descendant of King Saul. Okay, he's from King Saul's family. Now, you know that David, when King Saul died, David became king of Israel. Shimei stands on the side of the road as David's passing, hurling dirt and dust at him and cursing him. And David's general says to him, to David, do you want me to take this dead dog's head off? And David goes, maybe the Lord has sent him. You catching this? And so I've told that story many times because I would rather humble myself and be the object of those attacks because maybe... There's this much truth in what that person is saying. And maybe the Lord has sent that person for me to get the the point here. Hey, get your act together in this area. You see what I'm saying? But if if we go, yeah, take his head off. Eventually, he does get killed. (laughs) But not from David. 
Okay. David on his deathbed says to his sons, don't forget about Shemei when I'm gone. <laughs> but watch this now. David realizes, I got responsibilities here. I got a kingdom to oversee. There are families that are depending on me. The future of the kingdom depends on him. And so what does he do? He humbles himself. So that he can remain intact as a leader. Because eventually, you see, anything that's born out of rebellion is going to fail. And Absalom is in total rebellion against his father. And eventually gets killed. But watch this now. You, as the head of your households, you, as your own person, have responsibilities. Is it worth it for you to hijack your future because somebody hurt you, betrayed you, stole from you, badmouthed you? Is it worth it for you to hijack and possibly shipwreck your future? Or wouldn't it be worth it to just say, Lord, I don't care what this one said. I don't care what this one did. I don't care what that person took from me. I'm waiting on you. Because now I'm going to renew my strength. Now I'm going to rise up like an eagle. You listening to me? So listen, the power is on demand, but it's up to you whether you're going to click on that or whether you're going to spend the rest of your life in bitterness and disappointment and betrayal where you get to the point where you don't even trust God anymore. The choice is up to you. Now listen to me. It's just a a couple of minutes after 8 o'clock. I don't want us to stay here all night. If you're in the middle of something like that right now, overwhelming, it seems like everything's falling apart. It seems like every day you're waking up to some other kind of an attack, whether it's in your mind, whether it's in your physical body, your finances, relationships, whatever it is. I don't want you to have to wait till next week at the end of the series to be prayed for. We want to pray for you tonight so that you can go home with some relief. If that's you, would you please get out of your seats and come up here so we can pray for you? Prayer team. Please don't let your pride keep you at your seat. That's exactly what the devil wants. Remember that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who will do what? Humble themselves. being prayed for here. I want to encourage you, those of you that are here tonight. If you had not yet declared your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not yet come to a place where you said a simple prayer, and really it's more of a declaration, more you proclaiming what you believe about Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we'll do that, when we will confess What does confess mean? Confess means to say the same thing as. When we will say the same thing with our mouth, 
that we believe in our heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we receive salvation. It's not, you're not going to receive salvation because you're a good person. You're not going to receive salvation because you gave a ton of money away or you helped people or did all these other things. Now, there's, we're supposed to do those, but we do them because we're going to heaven, not in an attempt to get to heaven. You understand that? We're saved. How? When we release our faith, he releases his grace. Okay? So, if you're here tonight and you've never said a simple, very simple prayer, asking Jesus to come into your heart, please, we would love the honor and the privilege to be able to do that for you so that you can now step into this position in your relationship with God. If you desire prayer for that, please, just like everybody else came up here, would you come up here and we'll pray for you. You say, I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. I want to know that if I was to take my last breath tonight, that I would be immediately in his presence. If that's you, please come up here. We'll pray for you. Does anybody else need prayer for anything? All right, Andrew. Prayer to, to receive Christ, please just come up here, okay? And let me give you a hint. If your heart's going, it's you. All right. Did anybody learn anything tonight? Did this help? All right. So would you please make sure you come back next week for part two? All right. And I would suggest that if you have any in your family, a neighbor, a coworker that needs to hear this, please bring them next week, next Wednesday. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. We'll see you this weekend coming up.